0: As I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this service tonight. I thank you for joining me as again we seek to turn this studio into a sanctuary to worship the living God. As always, my prayer is that you will be blessed both by the word and the music. And incidentally, I'm so grateful for the musicians who honor us with their singing each Thursday night. Our scripture lesson comes from Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse one through eight. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter and his brother Andrew James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaan, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All other kingdoms are shakable. The kingdom of tyranny is shakable. It has to be held together by force. So if you relax the force, it falls to pieces. The kingdom of capitalism is shakable. Just let something happen in the United States or outside the United States and the stock market takes a plunge. The kingdom of personal health is shakable. We just go to the doctor, we have a physical. He looks at us and says, you've got to have surgery immediately. Everything is shakable except for one thing, and that is the kingdom of God. Not long ago, I read a book by Jim Collins called How the Mighty Fall. It was about how these great companies die, how they decline, and then fall, and then sometimes rise again. Everything else is shakable, save one thing, the kingdom of God. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. This is what he says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we're told by those who know that every great leader that's ever arisen among humankind has come with a great purpose, a great possession of thought. For instance, we have people like Socrates. He had his motto, his master thought, immortality of the soul. Then we had Buddha. His master thought was the renunciation of life. Then we had Martin Luther. His master thought was freedom of the Christian person. And then we had Jesus Christ, the greatest leader who ever led, who came with his master thought, which was the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ evidently was possessed by the kingdom of God. And in the gospel, we find the kingdom of God mentioned over a hundred times. And if something is mentioned over a hundred times by Jesus, we know to pay attention simply because he does not fool around with that which is not of ultimate importance. And so what did he say about it? He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things, your earthly needs, will be fulfilled. On the other hand, if we seek something else first, then all these other things will be subtracted from our needs, and life will go sour. So here again, the word of Scripture here. In our text, Jesus is calling the disciples. He gives them authority to cast out demons. This is what He says, Proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. The work of the kingdom is healing. Let me say that again. The work of the kingdom is healing. Listen again to the voice of Jesus in our text. Jesus said to the disciples, Go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. As you can see, the disciples of Jesus were not simply to be confined to words. They were to do something. They were to become involved in the hurts of humankind and become healers. God's people are to be healers in this society. The work of the kingdom is healing. There was a professor at Loyola University who said that anybody who's touched by God will be able to pass three tests. First of all, there's the time test. The person will never be the same again. When a person meets Jesus, he is permanently changed. And then there is the reality test. When a person is touched by God, he will not be drawn aside to an otherworldly posture. He will see how important Christ's work in this world is, and he will be drawn to do his best in that work. And then the third test is the test of charity. The grandest, most glorious of all God's interventions is the production of a good person, a loving person, a person who goes from a go-getter to a go-giver a healer, if you please. So how can we be authentic healers in this society today? I think the prophet Micah was hitting on this when he asked this question, what does the Lord require of thee? But then he answered it himself. He said to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. First of all, to do justice. I want you to notice that the emphasis is not on justice, it's on doing justice. Justice is something you do. I want us to think for a minute about Jesus' parable of the wise maidens who brought enough oil and the foolish maidens who didn't bring enough oil. We need to stop thinking about that parable in that way. What we need to start thinking about that parable is that there were ten maidens, ten maidens who didn't have quite enough oil for all of them to make it during the night. So you see, this is not so much... A parable about preparing as it is sharing. Sharing. In terms of our being healers, there are a couple of questions we need to ask. One of those questions is this. What about those who lack sufficient resources? What about those who lack sufficient resources? Whatever their plight is, it becomes our plight as authentic healers in this society. The second question is, why do I have those resources? I didn't earn everything I have. So what should I do with it? I should share it, I should share it. So first of all, it's do justice. Secondly, love kindness, love kindness. Leonard Sweet said he was at a university out in California and he said he was being taken by the university chaplain, a fellow named Tom Wiles, back to the airport. He said he picked him up in his red Ford Ranger And he said when he opened the door on the passenger side, he saw these big gashes, big gashes in the door and on the top. And so Sweet asked this chaplain, Tom Wiles, he said, what happened here? And Tom Wiles sort of put his head down and he said, well, my neighbor's basketball goal fell on it. And it put these dents in it and they're still there. Well, Sweet said, I'm sorry, it just looks like a great, great car. It's a new car. I smell it. And then Tom Wiles, the chaplain, said, but you know, he doesn't feel any responsibility to fix it. And so Leonard Sweet said, you mean you haven't called your insurance company to tell him to call his insurance company? How are you going to get it fixed? And then this fellow said, well, it's a long story. He said, my wife and I started thinking about all of this. We even decided we would get a lawyer. But then he said, I suddenly realized what I thought was the most important thing. I thought it would be better to be in right relationship than to own my rights. Because, you see, the truck is not going to be around as long as my neighbor. So I wanted to be in right relationship with him. What did Jesus say? He said, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to be in relationship with us. How often do we sacrifice the relationship for our rights? That is a tragic thing in terms of being kind. God wants us to be kind. We are authentic healers in this society. And after we love kindness, there is also walk humbly. Walk humbly. Walk is the key word here. I want you to think about that. Walk is the key word because it mentions someone's wholesome outlook on life. And it's very much akin to Jesus' call to his disciples, this word walk. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. Jesus did not ask his disciples to believe something about him. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. This word walk, it means the same thing. Jesus wants his disciples to walk in mercy and kindness and in fellowship with their God. So that's the first thing we need to notice here. And then secondly, the work of the kingdom is done by ordinary people, ordinary people. You know, when Jesus chose those 12 disciples, he chose very ordinary people. They didn't have any education to speak of. They didn't have any social standing. They didn't have a whole lot of wisdom, these kind of things that the world would say is so important. They didn't have any of these things. Jesus simply called them to assist him in helping humankind. Now, that was a wild gathering, that group of disciples. I want you to think about them. There was Simon, the zealot. He was interested in nationalism. Then there was Matthew, the tax collector. He was the one who was collaborating with the Romans to cheat the people out of money. How could these two people be in the same room? And yet there they were in the same room. And then there was Peter, impetuous Peter. So anxious, so full of energy, always saying, let's go, let's get this done, let's get this done. Then there was John in that same room. He was of the meditative type. He was sitting over there meditating and saying, No, Peter, we don't need to do it. We've got to think about it longer before we do anything. And then there was Andrew. Andrew who had his faith in a neat package. He had his faith all worked out. There are a lot of people like that, and what they say really is do not disturb. And then there's Thomas fighting to believe anything just to hang on to his faith. How could all of these people be in the same room? They were so very different, drastically different from each other. Well, you know how they were there. They discovered Jesus, or better still, Jesus discovered them. That's why they were there. They were one in Jesus. Someone said of Jesus, Jesus does not seek extraordinary people. Jesus seeks ordinary people to do ordinary things in an extraordinary way. That's what Jesus is doing. He's seeking ordinary people to do ordinary things in an extraordinary way. A man called his minister. He said, I don't know you, and you don't know me. He said, but my wife came to your church the other night. They were showing a movie, and she wanted to see it. She had been in a mental institution for one year. She had not spoken to anybody for two years, with the exception of me. But she went to that movie. She sat in the group after the movie where they discussed it. She began to talk, and when she got home, she talked to me. And this is what she said. She said, you know, I believe those people believed what I said. Just ordinary people. Turn them aloof to declare the kingdom of God is here and things would be so much different. In one of the churches I served, this church youth group put on Jesus Christ Superstar as well as Godspell. And we would take these productions around to other churches. Well, one night, one wild young girl in our group got up before the congregation. She didn't know anybody in there. She did know the youth group. And this is what she said. She said, you know, I wandered away but the youth group brought me back. Just ordinary people, the power of committed youth, just ordinary people, turned them aloose and let the kingdom of God manifest itself. Not long ago, I was watching a television minister, and this minister was describing two people, a white man and a black man. He said this white man had something of an urgency to go to the beach, to go to this certain pier. So he felt like he needed to do that. So he went out there day after day and sat on that pier. One day as he was sitting there, a black man showed up. And he sat down beside him and started talking a little bit about the fact that he needed a kidney transplant. So after they got to know each other, he needed the kidney transplant. And he told the white man, and the white man gave him a kidney. Just ordinary people. Turn them loose and the kingdom of God will appear. And then the kingdom starts small. How often we worry about how many people were in church or in Sunday school or the choir, just a few people in the choir, a few people in Sunday school, a few people in church. We worry about how many were there or not there, just small things we think. But the kingdom starts small. I want you to listen to this passage from my scripture lesson, this one verse. The twelve disciples... Jesus sent out with the following instructions, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and in a no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is Jesus speaking. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Jesus is inclusive. You mean he would say, not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? This is Jesus. Jesus, the one who told about the good Samaritan. Jesus, who... Talk to the woman at the Samaritan well. Jesus, who healed the daughter of the Cypher phoenician person. Jesus, who said, Go into all the world and baptize and make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what he's saying? Do not go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'll tell you somebody who can understand what he's talking about is an army general. An army general knows that you can only accomplish a limited objective. This general knows that you cannot attack on all fronts at the same time. He knows you have to limit your work to one objective and be grateful for every possible gain that you make through those times. Now, when I was pastor at St. Luke in Columbus, there were five churches in downtown Columbus. Five of us got together, a representative from all these churches, Five of us got together and decided to to build four Habitat for Humanity houses. We were not going to build 50. We knew we couldn't do that. We were just going to build five Habitat for Humanity houses. We worked together. We made the decision. We did the work, and we did it. And I'll never forget sitting in the Baptist church that night that the keys were presented to these people for those houses. I knew the kingdom of God had become reality in our midst there. Some of you have heard the name of Dwight L. Moody. This was before he was called by God to be an evangelist. He went to a Sunday school superintendent and he said, listen, I'd like to teach Sunday school. And the Sunday school superintendent said, well, get your class and you can. What if he said that to us? Well, anyway, it didn't deter Dwight L. Moody. He went out on the streets and round up 18 kids from the streets. He took them to church the next Sunday and they were his class. Well, suddenly the youth of that particular city area, began to come to his class. Before you knew it, he had 300 in the class and three classes. Then the class grew so large that he had to rent City Hall. He had 800 young people in there, most of them converted, most of them converted. You see, the kingdom starts off small, but it grows and it grows and it grows. So we should never worry about how small it starts with. It starts off small, but it grows and it grows and it grows. And then the kingdom of God is whenever and wherever God's will becomes a priority. You know, if we really want to understand the kingdom of God, we need to understand what Jesus said in the Lord's prayer. This was the prayer he taught us. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do you see right here he's connecting the kingdom come with the will be done. That's really one phrase, even though it's two phrases. The will of God highlights the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done. So the kingdom of God is whenever and wherever the kingdom of God becomes a priority. A Methodist minister was once made this statement. He said, from cover to cover... We understand God's will to be the welfare of humankind, the welfare of humankind. While I agree with that, Pastor, so very much, I want to add one thing. The will of God is also, is also when the betterment of humankind occurs all around the world and in every aspect of this planet's life. So we could say the kingdom of God is personal. It is personal whenever the kingdom of God and wherever the kingdom of God becomes a priority in an individual's life. The kingdom of God is also social whenever and wherever the kingdom of God becomes a priority in our relationships, whether it's race relationships, international affairs, economics, whatever it is. The kingdom of God is where the will of God is carried out. Now, last Sunday, I went to a church, and it was led by the Voices of Hope, This is a choir of prison women, a full choir of prison women. They had guards all around, but nevertheless, these singers were prison women. They did an outstanding job in leading that worship service. They really did. They had beautiful voices, and they witnessed to the Word of God and the power of God in their presentations. Here they were talking about the transforming power of God in their lives. Now, they went from everything, from any kind of crime you would name, to murder. But here they were now, lifting up the cause of God through Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that is where the kingdom of God is. Shakeable, shakeable, shakeable. Everything is shakable, but one thing, and that is the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity of being together. I pray that out of this message, something has been done that will touch somebody's life and will enable them to become more aware of the kingdom in their own lives. Help us, O God, to lift up that kingdom in our social aspect as well. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all things. Amen. Before I end tonight, I would like to simply ask you to join me in praying for the world and its needs. We need to pray for the leaders of the world as they deal with these crises all around us, and there are many. Would you join me, please, just for a brief prayer for our leaders? Oh, God, we pause again to acknowledge your ownership over all life. We recognize you as the great author, provider, and sustainer of it all. We would ask, oh, God, that you would bless the leaders of this nation and of other nations who are committed to peace, that you would bless them and lead them, that they may make the right decisions concerning these issues that we face before us in the world today, but help us to remember always that above the fog, confusion, and discord of our time, you are there, and help us to trust you in this and all things through Christ our Lord, amen, good night.
1: Thank you for listening
0: to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air. So please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031 or you can give securely online at halbradyministries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.